0: Hello, everybody, and good afternoon as we get set for another edition of the Mike Sports Roundup here on WSJU Radio. I'm your host, Michael Zabo, as we are kick off this Wednesday, October 27th edition of the Roundup. we got a lot to talk about. Um, we're going to talk, of course, about the Big World Series game that, that started off last night. We're going to round up uh, the two championship series, of course, that led us to last night. Then, of course, we'll talk about the Braves' Game 1 win down in Houston over the Astros and uh, what we can expect for the rest of the series. We'll talk about uh, the NFL as well, of course, getting into the Jets and Giants who are totally on different uh, spectrums uh, this past week with the Giants getting a big win over the Panthers and uh, the Jets getting absolutely floored in, in Foxborough. Uh, by the Patriots. We'll talk more about that later on. Um, we're going to start off with St. John's basketball, but before I get into talking about them, uh, make sure to follow my Twitter page at underscore msportsroundup and my Instagram page at michael underscore Zabel to follow all of the updates regarding the show. Once again, we are live here on WSJU Radio in our Marillac Hall studios on the campus of St. John's University every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. But you can also get updates on those uh, on our pages of when our episodes are posted to their podcast platforms. You can also check out this episode and all of our episodes of the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So check us out there. So, to get started, we're going to start off with St. John's basketball. And, like I said, was it last week or the other week when I started bringing St. John's back into our discussion, um, the college basketball season uh, is well and truly coming up fast, folks. You know, we're all as college students in the midst of midterms. Everybody's just, you know... Waiting with anticipation that midterms are coming around, and then all of a sudden, Big East Media Day, and then tip off. And, and here we go, we're just two weeks, and we're just under two weeks away, just about a little give or take, two, two weeks or so away from the start of the season. But the St. John's season, I guess you could say, got off to its unofficial start last Friday with the tip off performance. And Fabio Foran coming to St. John's and all that um, sort of stuff. I more so enjoy the player introductions more so than everything else. I thought that was cool. Um, a lot of the cool player introductions that there were. The songs that they come out to. That, I think, is always a cool thing to get into during tip-off. And, of course, during their little scrimmages during tip-off. doesn't tell you anything, but it gives you an idea of the mannerisms about the players and maybe... Uh, enlightens you of what you can expect a little bit in the games from each of the uh, players. I thought I think Aaron Wheeler has a really nice shooting stroke. Um, again, so let's tip off, but you just see like what how these I mean, we never uh, you know there's so many new players to the to this team. You don't know how they are. I mean, you're just seeing them in a pickup environment. Hey, this guy likes to sh- uh, likes to pull up every now and then and, and shoot a three and here and there like. You know how can you analyze that, engage that for the beginning of the season. That's what I like looking at during tip off, and I thought Aaron Wheeler was was you know really impressive his shooting stroke that he has. Um, I think Steph Smith will also be a great uh, playmaker um, for this team. Um, you know you, you got a lot of other really good guys. I think Omar Stanley is going to be. Um, really interesting uh, prospect off the bench for St. John's, um, and Rafael Pinzone. The 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 talk around him has really started to to pick up as the off season has gone along. That the FIBA U nineteen World Cup posted really good numbers there, and the more times you just see him, you know that he's going to be whether you know now or in the future whatnot. Slowly and progressively, a big part of the St. John's team. He can if certainly when uh, Pasha Alexander's not on the floor or there needs to be a certain situation where the ball is in someone else's hands. Benzone is one of those guys that, who could play point guard here and there along with Steph Smith and even Tariq Coburn. We've heard Mike Anderson mention um, how, mu- how impressed he is actually with uh, Coburn's handles that uh, he's been um, seeing in practice. Um, so you had that. And uh, would tip off, but the unofficial, unofficial start, uh, that that was more so the unofficial, unofficial start. The unofficial start to the year is tonight with St. John's actually being in their first game action, albeit an exhibition game against Baruch College. Um, Baruch College coming over um, from the city um, will come for a good exhibition game against the Johnnies tonight at 7 p.m. That game can be viewed on ESPN3. Um, it's also the first time. Yes, it's an exhibition game. It doesn't count for anything in terms of wins or losses on the season or whatnot. But it, it is actually the first game that uh, Carnesecca Arena will have in front of fans. The first basketball game Carnesecca Arena uh, will have in front of fans for the first time in over 600 days. So that's another uh, great thing. Um, Great uh, to have fans back in the stands. I'll be there a little later on, um, you know, just putting out updates for WSGU Sports Radio, um, you know, about the game, analyzing it or whatnot, and going from there. So I'll be there a little later on to take it all in and see these guys in action for the first time. So once again, that exhibition is at 7 p.m. on ESPN3. Um injury news. Uh Duan is still a doubt to make the season opener as an uh coming off an off-season ankle injury. Um we've heard that he's been in non-contact uh practicing only in non-contact drills or if he is practicing maybe not looking uh, 100% and he's still trying to you know work himself and work that ankle back up to 100%. Um so he's he has about 2 weeks um try and make the season op- opener probably misses the first game or two. Um but we'll see and we'll monitor um those updates. Um couple of things we wanna uh, mention really is uh you know a couple articles that came out yesterday, of course, was the we had the B- big East Media Day last week. Ye- uh, yesterday was uh the internal St. John's basketball media day. Um that was interesting. Um, you know to listen to and talk about um, you know articles in the New York Post. I've been reading. Shout out to Zach Brazoia for some good um, insight on, on all things about St. John's. Uh, a couple of great articles that I saw the uh, Joel Soriano, and we've heard about how he's dropped weight ever since coming over from Fordham in the off season. Went from about two two hundred eighty two pounds now down around to. 263, somewhere around there, more manageable, more um, physically able to play in and Mike Anderson's up-tempo style of basketball. Uh, that's great to see. And I think that's a huge key for St. John's and their success this season because they really didn't have an, uh, an inside presence all of last year, a guy who you could be able to throw it in, uh, dump it into the paint, and who would be able to draw in several uh, defenders uh, to be able to give your shooters on the outside some space. Obviously, we all know the lack of consistent shooting at times. Shooting can be really good, uh, you know, one point in the game, really bad the other. We know those inconsistencies, but amidst all that St. John's just never, last year, had a, a real big guy that could be active in the post that can draw a lot of defenders in even for a moment, and be able to create that space uh, for, uh, for the shooters on the outside to be able to get something off. Um, so I think that's a huge key for the Red Storm uh, this season is how Joe Soriano fits in and you know, can he be able to keep up with this high-octane, high fast-paced sort of pl- uh, system that Mike Anderson employs... And of course, with the Big East Conference in general transitioning um, uh, from Fordham, so that will be interesting to monitor. And one thing I wanted to shout out also, while you know reading everything up on uh, media day, because you know I had my fellow colleagues go. I couldn't be in there in person. I was at work, um, but they saw an article on Tariq Coburn and. We all know about how he, uh, Tariq Coburn, graduate transfer in from Hofstra, is enrolled in uh, the Physician's Assistant Program here at St. John's, and just seeing the details of his schedule, you Now, I even put it out on Twitter yesterday, I mean, my goodness, props, props to Tariq Coburn, give him a lot of credit for being able to manage that, of course, probably, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he manages that, like, like uh, both, you know, physician assistant program and uh, you know, basketball when the, the the season really gets into full swing after October, uh, after November 9th and the season opener. That that's you know, um, where I think it's a real test for him. But seriously, props to him for being able to manage all that. I know, as a college student myself, we all know. The trials and tribulations of a semester, but um, my goodness, props to him for managing all of that. Um, You know, I think I'm busy with, you know, school, calling games, uh, writing articles, check out Storm the Paint, by the way, just to plug that in, Um, and uh, all of our good work on there on Storm the Paint, myself and Kevin Connolly, just to plug that in in there. Well, you know, you think, I, uh, uh, you know, I look at my schedule and think, oh man, I'm busy sometimes. As some days, I feel like, man, you know, one thing after another and whatnot. You know the grind. And then you just read the details about Tariq Coburns, and you're like, Jesus Christ, my 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 goodness. Um, and you're like, that's that's super busy. Um, you know, prop, you know, just props to him and. Uh, Really really interesting to see what he brings to this team. I think he's a career 40% three-point shooter, which is, of course, something that St. John's has been crying out for for years, and that's consistently good three-point shooting. I think St. John's is well set up for that this year, not just with Coburn. Let's not forget about Steph Smith as well, the uh, Vermont transfer. Um, So, you know, just wanted to throw that out there, and that that, um, just, you know, cool, interesting tidbit um, there. But for St. John's, really, what, you look, what I would be looking for in this exhibition, again, let's stress the fact that it's an exhibition. There's going to be lineup experimentations. Who knows if the starting lineup is going to be ad- exactly what we think it will be on opening night. Maybe there will be some experimentations or whatnot here and there. That's the point of an exhibition. So, you know, you temper your expectations here and there. But I would really look for what the interior defense is going is going to be like. Um, how are all of these guys... You know, there are only three returners to this team. Julian Champagny, Posh Alexander, Dylan Adaiwusu. Everybody else is new, whether they're freshmen or transfers. Interesting to see how they how they gel. Any game action, we're going to say that every, every game, probably at least leading up to, to Big E season, is how this team... Will continue to gel with all of its new pieces, and you know tonight is the first um, time we'll get to evaluate that. Um, but also, you want you want to see St. John's and some progression with uh, in, with the interior defense. How they've been working on that in practice? That was a clear struggle for St. John's last year defensively, being able to protect the rim. Um, they surrendered a lot of points in the paint. Um, you know something that uh has to be fixed this year if they're going to go far, obviously, that's why part of the reason why size was an emphasis uh this year in terms of who they brought in in transfers or uh recruits to boost the size of this team have uh get a lot better and more consistent rebounding in there and protection at the rim so just interesting to be able to take that in, and that I think is a key for me. Uh, to look at tonight is how the interior defense plays um, and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, once again, the exhibition uh, against Baruch tonight at 7 p.m. on ESPN 3. St. John's will also have a closed door scrimmage on Saturday, and then the wait begins and the countdown begins for November 9th and the season opener against Mississippi Valley State at 7 p.m. So, yeah, that's, my, that's our roundup on St. John's uh, basketball for now. We'll talk more about them as the season continues to get closer ahead of a highly anticipated year for the Red Storm, or a season with very high expectations. Moving on now to Major League Baseball, as the World Series kicked off last night between the Atlanta Braves and the Houston Astros. But first, how did we get here? First, over in the ALCS, the Houston Astros took down the Red Sox in six games. Um, fantastic performance by Framber Valdez in Game 5. Seven innings pitched, only one run given up. Um, and then Houston took it back home and were able to close out the series. Props for them to be able to get through that series when it looked like they... Could be short pitching wise, and you know Dusty Baker and, and, and you know where was able to manage all of that, and the pitching staff was able to get some huge outs. The Astros bullpen throughout the postseason has been absolutely fantastic. So props to them uh, for being able to get through that series, and then to eventually uh, you know eventually close it out in Game Six and and uh, beat the Red Sox and. You know, props to them once again for going through and averting every Yankee fan's nightmare once again. Although every Yankee fan is pulling now for the Braves. Thank God the Red Sox are not in there. Um, and then you had on the uh, NL uh, on the NL side the NLCS between the Braves and the Dodgers, uh, with the Braves also um, winning in six games. I think that that was huge in order to win. I think if that NLCS goes to a Game 7, the Dodgers are winning, and I never thought... I didn't really think that was going to happen because you're thinking, no way Atlanta is going to lose out on a 3-1 to series lead in the National League Championship Series two years in a row. Um, they lost Game 5, which got you a little worried. Oh my goodness, you know, you lose another time you're facing... Um, You know, winner take all game at home, game seven. You're doing this two years in a row. Um, You know, there's going to be a lot of nervousness, I'm sure. So that was huge for them to be able to get out and win that series in six games. The Braves have just been uh, fantastic. Forget about the pitching. Eddie Rosario, where did anybody see this coming from? Um, I don't think there was a metric or stat that could be able to tell you that he would. Be this on fire down the stretch of the season, especially into this postseason. Um, it just, the you know, he's doing it all. Last night in game one, he, you know, he got the big uh, catch off the wall and threw out Yuri Guriel, that, you know, a fly ball from Guriel that was just about, you know, two feet under the high yellow line in the uh, left field side of. Minute made Park, uh, that ball was just about two feet under that high yellow line on the right side of the Crawford boxes, and bounced off the wall, went right to Rosario, and relay throw comes in, and they throw out Gurriel um, at second base, albeit it was a terrible slide from Gurriel where he got stopped um, right before he went into the full slide, he just hit the dirt too much, um, but still a great tag nonetheless. And, and and you know he's doing and that's just an example of a great defensive play and he's just doing it all, all offensively. Um, you know it can go up and down the list of how good Ad, Atlanta are playing. This is a team that you know we're we're very eh in the regular season in a well this year kind of mediocre division um, that the Braves... I, I guess you want I don't know if you want to say mediocre. The Braves only won eighty eight games or you just want to say hey, they only won 88 games because everybody's beating up on one another or, you know, that's why there's a lower win total compared to the NL West where, you know, it's the Giants 107 wins and the the Dodgers 106. But the Braves kind of were eh throughout the year. Lost Ronald Acuna Jr. You you thought that's going to really um, take out their their hopes and dreams for the season. Um, You know, Obviously he's a huge difference maker um offensively and defensively. You thought that was going to be a huge hit for them. Um The Braves made a couple of real real the Braves front office have have to be have to really be given a lot of credit for the job they did at the trade deadline. They went for it, they they pushed the right buttons, and this team really got going in the second half and you know ended the season strong, but they just found lightning in a bottle this postseason. And, you know, here they are in their first World Series appearance since 1999 when the Yankees swept them in four games. Yes, I had to plug that in. Um, but, yep, they're back in the World Series once again. Um, they got the win 6-2 to last night. So the Astros play- playing as the home team, of course, um, games one and two. In Minute Maid Park, three, four, and five. Uh, back in Atlanta, six and seven. God forbid, get to that point. Um, back in Minute Maid Park once again. But uh, yeah, the Braves won last night, Game One, six to two. The Braves jumped uh, jumped on Framber Valdez earlier, so we're praising Framber Valdez with such a fantastic performance against the Red Sox in the ALCS Game Five at Fenway. Totally different story. Last night, where he just imploded, did not have anything last night. Jorge Soler jumped on him on the first swing of the game on a 2-0 pitch, just launched it into the Crawford boxes, um, did exactly what you're supposed to do on a 2-0 pitch that comes out over the plate. Um, And there are a lot of questions around Jorge Soler being put into uh, the leadoff spot in the Braves lineup. Let us not forget that. Uh, Solaire was out of the NLCS with COVID, and I think for some of the National League Divisional Series as well. Um, So, he was out for quite a long layoff throughout this postseason, and everybody's kind of shocked. Oh, long layoff, and he's put into the leadoff spot. Um, But, you know, that just proved um, you know, that first inning home run just proved why, you know, sometimes sometimes coaches and whatnot are smarter than everybody else. So, um, he did a really good, uh, that was just, you know, got the game off to a bang. You know, got the game off to a great start for Atlanta, like I said, on the first swing of the game for the Braves. Uh, put them up one to nothing. then Austin Riley would get an RBI double in that same bottom of the first. Braves would add a run in the second and the third innings. You had, a Soler, uh, you had a uh You Sol- uh, had a Jorge Solaire RBI fielder's choice once again in the third inning. So the Braves making history as the first team in Game One of a World Series to score in each of the first three innings. And then you had Adam Duval with a big two-run home run in the fifth inning. Um, Braves jumped out to a five-nothing lead at one point. Um, I'm sorry, it was not the. Uh, the fifth inning, I believe that was also in the in the third. Yes, that was in the third inning, the two-run home run, not the fifth inning. Um, my mistake. So that was not the fifth inning. That was in the third. The big Adam Duvall, two-run home run. After that, Dusty Baker comes out, pulls Framber Valdez. After uh, just two innings pitch, Valdez gave up eight hits. And five runs, um, so Houston really behind from the get-go, and the Atlanta uh, uh, the Atlanta Braves pitching just took over from there. But I had some injury news that can really affect this postseason. And that was Charlie Morden, who is on the other side of this pitching matchup, pitching the opening game of the World Series for Atlanta. Obviously, a former Astro uh, that was part of the 2019 uh, World Series run. Morden, looked, uh, Charlie Morden looked fantastic through the first two innings or, or so. I believe it was two and a third innings. And then all of a sudden, he receives a comebacker um, from Yui U- U- Guriel Pitch um, gets swung on by Gurriel, comes right up the middle and hits uh, a Morden in the leg. Didn't feel the same after that. Still went on to pitch 16 pitches after that, but then would be forced to come out of the game uh you know, you'd go uh take some MRIs, take some screenings or whatnot, and they find out that it is a broken fibula. Morden's World Series and Morden's season is done. He'll be ready for spring training, but one way or another he is not he is absolutely done this season, done for the World Series, which affects the Braves pitching staff going forward. Obviously you don't have Morden for some of the later games It's going to put a lot more emphasis once again on the Atlanta bullpen uh, later on, especially to put up some really, um, to come up with some really big outs and hopefully some really big games in order if they're going to be able to win a championship. So that's also a huge storyline in this series. The only Astros runs in the game were a Chas McCormick RBI fielder's choice in the uh, fourth which was also um, you know, based on a, a bobble by Dansby Swanson at the at shortstop position. He bobbled the ball, um, but they did say it was an RBI fielder's choice um, in the fourth inning, and then Carlos Correa hit an RBI groundout in the eighth. That was just the Astros' two, two runs after Morden, the Atlanta bullpen really shutting uh, down uh, the Houston Astros. After Valdez went out, you saw Jake Odorizzi come in. the The Astros bullpen did everything they could to keep Houston in the game and you know try and you know give them leeway to chip away and chip away and get back into the game, but just didn't happen. The Braves pitching just you know just dominated and shut them out, and the Braves were uh, tacked on another run much later on um, in the game. Uh, Off of a Freddie Freeman sack fly in the eighth inning, um, just to extend the lead and get that sixth run, and then uh, led them to winning the game. So, uh, great performance from the Braves now up 1 0 in the World Series. And puts this the, the win last night for the Atlanta Braves puts a lot of pressure on the Houston Astros tonight to be able to get a win. At home before heading to Atlanta, you do not want to be heading on the road down 2 0 in the World Series. And you know, all the home, all Atlanta has to do, Atlanta, the home team in games three, four, and five, has to win two games out of three at home in order to win the World Series. At that point, huge pressure on Houston to win tonight. Um, But the big problem is. The Atlanta Braves will be throwing out Ace, Max Freed, on the mound. So weren't able to get well, weren't able to get much off of Morton, A, eh, because, you know, he yes, he was fantastic through two innings, but then of course got injured and couldn't do much else against the rest of the Atlanta bullpen. But now you have the Ace coming up against you tonight. The Braves Ace coming up against you tonight, and Max Freed puts so you know. They're in. They're in real danger, Houston, of going down to nothing. puts a lot of danger. Um, puts a not danger. puts a lot of pressure on them uh, to win tonight and at least go to Atlanta, um, back to Truist Park with the series tied at one one. On the other side of the matchup tonight in Game Two, uh, Houston will throw out Jose Uriquidy, um, who only has. Uh, made one postseason appearance beforehand in the uh, series uh, with the Red Sox um, where he was pretty solid. Um, you know the question for the Astros is, you know can their pitching be consistent? We've seen Valdez at the highest of highs, pitching seven innings of one run ball at Fenway Park in the ALCS. And then last night the lowest of lows, can't get, uh, uh, you know, just only pitches two innings and gives up uh, five runs, can this Houston Astros team, per, uh, you know, pitching-wise, be consistent and then be able to turn it over, uh, their starters be consistent enough to keep them in the game and then be able to turn it over to a fantastic uh, a bullpen that's per- been performing uh, um, fantastically uh, this season? uh this uh, postseason, so you know that's going to be the the formula for the Astros. Is if the their pitching can uh, the if their pitching can be able to keep them in the game, hand the the bullpen a lead. If their offense can be able to get them in the lead, the pitching can be able to do its job enough to hand the bullpen a lead and go from there. That's going to be the formula for uh, victory. Um, for the Astros but the Charlie Morton injury is huge. That brings this the pitching aspect of, of this World Series matchup a lot more closer than what it was. Um, not to say that any team obviously had bad pitching. I mean, you're not in the World Series with bad pitching. But you know, that's just that's an extra starter that that's another starter that the Braves lose. Kind of brings them a little more closer to the Astros, like I said, in terms of the pitching matchup, in that their and that their bullpen is going to have to be used a little bit more. So that's going to be an intriguing dynamic to see um, once uh, as the series uh, goes on. But once again, Game Two will be on tonight at 8 p.m. on Fox Sports. Um, Once again, pitching matchup is Mats Freed up against Jose Uricchidi. So moving on now uh, to the NFL. and We're going to talk some football. We're going to go with the Giants, talk about the Jets, and then kind of round up some of the bigger stories in the league overall from Week 7. Maybe get a little bit into uh, Week 8 as well. So starting off with the New York Giants um, who get off to... Uh, who wound up winning this past week against the uh, Sam Darnold and the Carolina Panthers? Um, you know, bounce back from the absolutely horrible performance uh, against the Los Angeles Rams. I don't think anybody thought that the Giants were going to win that game, but still, a really rough performance, losing 38 to 11. Um, Giants bounced back this week and beat the Sam Darnold-led uh, Carolina Panthers 25-3. to Sam Darnold, came in his return to MetLife Stadium, came back and looked like the Sam Dar- New York Jets' Sam Darnold of old that us Giants fans all know and love. Um, just, you know, was horrible. Horrible on the day. He was so bad to the point where Carolina... Um, you know, even benched him at one point. Um, The numbers on itself doesn't look too bad. 16 or 25, 111 uh, yards with one interception, but just was not really effective um, for most of the day in terms of trying to extend uh, the drives for Carolina, put up any serious points um, on the Giants. Uh, The Giants' defense looked really good. They were able to get five sacks on Sam Darnold in this game. I don't remember the last time that the Giants had more sacks than points allowed in a game. Um, so, you know, that was fantastic. Daniel Jones looked really good. Um, went 23 of uh, 33 for 203 yards with the touchdown. Had eight receptions, 28 receiving yards, and obviously had that highlight reel of uh, a one hand of that one handed catch on that sort of flea flicker play, where um, you know the ball was pitched a couple of times and then uh, Jones rolled out wide and was able to haul in the pass. Um, that was a fantastic catch. Fantastic. Um, Jones is is quite an athlete. I think we all kind of sleep on Daniel Jones in terms of an athlete. Because, obviously, as a quarterback, you know, we just see him being in the pocket more often. Um, you know, we focus on those deficiencies at times. But even though this season, got to give props to him, he has been pretty good. Um, in most games here and there, we're not, uh, the Rams game last week was terrible. Um, but, overall, kind of been pretty solid this year. Um, Jones can really do it all. He, he can run and he has speed, I remember them saying it last year, he has speed that's, you know, close to Lamar Jackson level speed. Daniel Jones can run. Um, he has the athleticism to be able to move out of the pocket to, um, you know, run for a couple of yards here and there, run for a first down if everybody um, is covered uh, downfield. Um, you know, obviously, so the one-handed catch has the ability to do that to be able to stretch out and you know make a phenomenal catch um, like that. Obviously, the meme went around about you know the comparisons to that and the old Del Beckham Jr. catch, which, by the way, it was nowhere close to the old Beckham Jr. catch. Um, you know, still a great catch by Daniel Jones. He almost fumbled it a couple of times, but that's because like he had to stretch out so far. The b- he caught the ball on his fingertips. So just bobbled it, just be to be able to get better control on it. I think it even t- went off his helmet at one point, but nothing can come close to the uh, Odell Beckham catch. Like he caught that football, you know, going backwards on three, you know, on three fingers. Uh, you know, everybody's analyzed the catch to down to, you know, the very, you know, endlessly has analyzed that catch down to the, the very nitty gritty. Um, but you know that that those two catches aren't close, although they are both very good catches. so I mean great job by Jones there like i said the 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 defense overall, um, well, actually, before I get to the defense, I mentioned about the offense and you know alluding to that you know talking about that Daniel Jones catch, actually very impressed with um, Jason Garrett this week. We, you know, I've criticized Jason Garrett on this show, so have many others, with the, the, the lack of creativity and playmaking. This has been a team last year as well that, you know, whether Daniel Jones is doing good offensively or whatnot, in terms of the play calling, been pretty predictable. In terms of the play calling, been pretty lackluster play calling. But got to give credit to Jason Garrett this week for some really good play calling and getting really creative exemplified by that play in which Daniel Jones wound up getting the one-handed catch, rolling out wide and being able to make that play. So, got to give credit for him for, you know, switching up the playbook a little bit, getting a little more creative. Like I said, I, I, I and maybe not eight receptions and whatnot, but I would really like to see Daniel Jones... Um, running a lot more often and taking those quarterback design runs, you know, get a couple blocks for him here and there, and um, you know, set Jones loose. You know, send Jones loose for, you know, a good five ten yard run or whatever, or if it's third and five, you set, you know, something up. If nothing's open down the field, you know, he runs forward, um, you know, on a quarterback run and gets that first down. That what That's more of what I want to see. I like that 23 of 33. That's more of where I want to see Daniel Jones, not fifth, not throwing it 51 times, 45 times, or whatnot. I like that between, you know, 30, 35 times or whatnot, throwing in a game, um, and, and, you know, let's say maybe he has, you know, five or ten rushing attempts. Um Maybe 10 is pushing it. But, you know, that kind of, um, you know, that kind of game plan for Jones. I'd like to see more. So, once again, really like the, the play calling uh, from Jason Garrett this week. Shaking it up a little bit. Glad to see that. Um, on the defensive side of things, looked very good, obviously. You know, only giving up three points, getting five sacks on Sam Darnold, forcing him out of the game. The Panthers benched him late on. But now you have a big concern. Um, more injuries hitting this Giants team, as we found out a couple of days ago, that uh, Jabril Peppers was uh, placed on the injured reserve. Um, the safety, um, Jabril Peppers that you know, plays the safety position, uh, had uh, the injuries are being diagnosed. He has two injuries diagnosed as an ACL rupture and a high ankle sprain that he has. Um, I honestly, I'm not a doctor, but I'd estimate he's going to be gone for a number of weeks. Obviously, it's IR, so you know he's eligible to return in you know three weeks or whatnot. But I don't think he's going to be a ba- back for a while, if ever, uh, this season. An ACL rupture is pretty serious. Obviously, if you tear it, you're gone for a year or whatnot. Um, but that's a big blow for a defense that um, you know looked very good. Um, uh, looked very good on Sunday. Um, kind of been up and down this year. Um, they responded with a good performance, like I said, on Sunday after two really lackluster performances. Giving up 38 points against the Rams, 44 to the Cowboys the week before. So, you know, just when the defense really clicked last week, you get another injury news. Of course, we knew that. You know that a couple of weeks ago, Blake Martinez suffered an ACL injury. That took him out for the year as well. A a huge contributor on the defensive end, linebacker Blake Martinez, and you lost him. Um, Now you lose Peppers for um, a number of weeks. That's a big hit uh, for the defense. Um, But up next uh, for the Giants, they'll be going on Monday Night Football um, up against the Kansas City Chiefs. I believe we do have the Manning cast. Uh, for that game, the New York Giants against the Kansas City Chiefs um, next, uh, this coming week on Monday Night Football. Um, so that should be interesting. Um, and honestly, for the Giants, this is the perfect time to go up against the Chiefs, who are absolutely reeling right now. I'll get more into the Chiefs um, in a little bit in our overall segment in a, in a couple of minutes. But, um, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, you look at the schedule and you're like, oh, you know, the Chiefs are on there. Oh, you're out of your mind if you think the Giants are, are going to win the game. Honestly, the Chiefs have been looking terrible. Um, Patrick Mahomes, I don't know what it is, whether he's dealing with an injury or um, just something's going on. There's some sort of regression going on. Um, he's just been turning the ball over quite a bit the last couple of games. Um, you know, so the offense for Kansas City hasn't been good. They got absolutely destroyed by Tennessee this week. I believe it was twenty-seven-three. Um, the defense has been absolutely poor from Kansas City uh, this year. So, if the Giants are going to beat a team, um, if uh, if the Giants are ever going to beat Kansas City, um, this is a this is their best shot to do so right now. Kansas City looks well, kind of down. Um, But like I said, I'll talk more about them in just a little bit. Moving now over to the Jets. Um, The Jets got absolutely bamboozled this week. Destroyed. Um, We know how Bill Belichick's record against young quarterbacks and how especially young quarterbacks do on the road against... the, uh, on the road against the Patriots in Foxborough. Historically, it's been pretty bad for those guys. But my goodness, they lost 54-13. to 13. Uh, I mean, my goodness, what a shellacking by the Patriots on, on the New York Jets. Um, the biggest, the biggest worry for the Jets, the biggest, um, you know, the, the worst news of the day that you could have possibly had was Zach Wilson getting hurt in the game? Uh, he's going to be out uh, for about two to four weeks um, with an injury. Um, that was it, it was just a day where everything that could go wrong for the Jets did. Game plan didn't go as you hoped. Just getting destroyed. You know Wilson wasn't looking too great. Then of course gets injured, um, and you're not you're not going to have him for uh, another couple of weeks. Defense, the 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 Jets defense didn't exactly have a banner day when you let Damian Harris go for 14 carries, 106 yards, and two rushing touchdowns. Um, Damian Harris is a, uh, never is a solid running back, but never would dream of yeah you know, seeing him put up that kind of numbers, and yet that's what that's what happened on Sunday so not exactly a banner day for the Jets defense either so like i said everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for the Jets uh middle of the week they traded for um they traded for Joe Flacco uh, from the Philadelphia Eagles giving up a 6th round pick um Flacco of course was with the Jets uh last season uh so Uh, Joe Flacco is back once again, Um, We'll will obviously uh, play out the next two to four games depending on how long Zach Wilson will be out for. There's no expectations on the Jets for the rest of the season, seriously. If you didn't think so uh, already, the season is definitely over. The job for Robert Sala and the rest of That New York Jets coaching staff is to continue to develop this team on the defensive end to develop some of these younger guys and the 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 rookies and whatnot Um, just continue developing Um, on the offensive end and just continue to develop your receivers well that that's all this is going to be about for the Jets um, at this point They could, uh, I believe they could potentially have two picks um, in the uh, top ten if the season ended as of right now. Um, Keep in mind, they also have the conditional first round pick um, from the Seahawks in the Jamal Adams trade, I believe. Um, So there's also that. So they could potentially have two two picks in the top ten. Like I said, if the season ended today, so that's where uh, they are headed. Uh, the Jets currently now 1-5. They will face off against the Bengals on on Sunday, which is Halloween. Happy Halloween, everybody. Um, they will face off against the uh, Bengals, as I said. Um, and with the Bengals, who have just been unbelievable the last couple of weeks, looking really good. Um... You know, like I said, all it is is just about uh, development at this point for the Jets. So they honestly should not rush Zach Wilson back. Make, don't bring. make sure he's 100%. If he needs to take more than the two to four weeks, it is what it is. Um, you know, you don't want to push him, what, just to, you know, continue giving him some quote-unquote reps or or whatever, and he's less than 100%. No, just... Make sure he gets rehabbed well if he comes back, he's a hundred percent you know take as much time as you need with him um, for him to come back and then go from there. Um, you know like I said, just continue just rehab Wilson uh, well, like I said, take as much time as you, you need for him and, and then you know just continue developing the rest of the team and continuing to set in your system and your culture into the team that's what it's about. Uh, for Robert Sala and this Jets team going forward this year. is it, It's just building. Because um, they're going nowhere. One and five, and then you got the Bengals, the Colts, and the Bills as their next three. Oh, they're not going anywhere. Um, so, yeah, moving on from there, we'll talk about um, some of the bigger storylines around the NFL, just highlight a couple of games, a couple of big things. Um, you know, we noticed in NFL week seven, alluded to the Chiefs in the giants segment just a couple of minutes ago talking more about them as i said they fell 27 to 3 against the tennessee titans kansas city is now sitting 3 and 4 i mean i don't think at the beginning of the season that anybody would have predicted that going into week 8 kansas city would have been 3 and 4 and we're talking about the new york giants on monday night football Potentially having a shot at beating Kansas City, you know, there, there's a shot there uh, for for the Giants. I know most people say, "Oh no, it's the New York Giants." Oh, you know, the the, the Chiefs are fine. I know they've been bad, but they'll be fine. It's Mahomes and whatnot. So uh, they haven't been looking good. So what? It's Mahomes and whatnot. They haven't been looking good. Um, their defense has not shown up the entire year. I'm not saying the Giants are going to win the game. But that's going. That it, it. They have a real good shot to win. I don't know what's going on. the The Chiefs right now are tied for last place. Broncos are in last in the AFC West. The Chiefs right there in third place at three and four. As I said, like I said, the defense is just horrible this year. Horrible. Um. Yes, they had some injuries early on. Um. With uh with Frank Clark, um, I am los- Chris Jones, I was going to say, I'm blanking on the name, uh, Chris Jones uh, as well, those two had him play together um, for the first couple games of the season, but then Kansas City got into some weird experimentation, uh, trying out Chris Jones and uh, Frank Clark as edge rushers, which, uh, you know, just really dumbfounded me. Um, why you'd want to experiment? you, you let you know your de- why would you want to experiment you know in general like that with your defense and especially when your defense is performing as terrible as it's been this year, that just absolutely dumbfounds me playing guys at a position like that and, and trying to tweak things and experiment things or, or whatnot. That's not going to help you out whatsoever. Uh Patrick Mahomes is, is becoming turnover prone. Uh there's a couple of times where he's just forcing the issue. I remember that interception against Washington when he's about to be sacked and then just chucks it up in the air. And of course, you know, doesn't get the the same sort of traction and uh power on the ball, you know, to be a normal pass, and uh Washington intercepts it, and that's the kind of mistake that a rookie um, would make and obviously Patrick Mahomes is no rookie. Um, you know that's not something a veteran does or like should or you would be expect them to be doing. I know we saw that with Carson Wentz on Sunday Night Football doing a similar sort of thing, but you know Carson Wentz has not um, you know played in a Super Bowl. I know the Eagles won it and whatnot, but Carson Wentz was injured uh, that year. Um, so he hasn't he hasn't been there and done that and whatnot. But so I guess yes, he is a veteran, but not in terms of being great, I guess. But you 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 would still say like you sh- you shouldn't be doing something like that. In either case, that's something more of what you'd expect to see from uh, a rookie or you know somebody still trying to. You know, get some more reps uh, under their belt, being starting, qu- being a starting quarterback, and and whatnot, and still trying to learn the process. Not somebody who, like Patrick Mahomes, has won a Super Bowl and a Super Bowl um, MVP um, and been to two Super Bowls already in his young career. You know that that's just not Mahomes-esque. What, you know, we saw in that play, and it, it's very strange. You know what we've been seeing. I don't know if it's regression. He's carrying an injury. Maybe just you know seeing what the Kansas City record is and trying to force the issue uh, too much, but Kansas City is some is in some real trouble. I'm not going to go on to the national takes and say "Oh, the dynasty is over already and all that sort of stuff, but um, I don't think we expected this for another year to really happen um, and that's sort of Kansas City um, you know not being the insanely dominant team that we all have expected them or, or come to know them to be the last couple of years. Uh, this is a team that kind of the rest of the league has caught up to and figured out how to play um, to a certain extent. Also, the fact is that um, the Mahomes contract, we mentioned about dynasties and why Tom Brady and the New England Patriots were, were able to, be good for, uh, to stay good for so long was because Tom Brady was on a very cheap contract for all of his time in New England, the Patriots would be able to spend the rest of the, the, their cap money on keeping everybody else there or being able to upgrade in other positions that they needed to. They could use the money elsewhere rather than tying 30-40% of their cap into their quarterback. The Chiefs, for the next 10 years, are on the hook for $50 million a year to Patrick Mahomes. That is going to be, that is going to limit their ability to keep this team together, Um, you know, whether it's offensive players or defensive players or whatnot, it's going to be difficult to keep all of these guys together and to keep them in championship contention for so long. Is this a team that will be good for a while? Yeah, but it's going to be, um, you know, not smooth sailing probably for the rest of the way. And a lot of that has to do with the massive contract that the Chiefs uh, recently signed, uh, got Mahomes to sign off to. Um, but we'll see if Kansas City can uh, you know, start uh, bouncing back and whatnot. Um, alluded to the Bengals before. They'll be taking on the Jets this week. The Bengals destroying the Ravens 41-17. to This is a surging group. The Bengals got an emerging defense. Remember, they only lost to the Packers a couple of weeks ago by a game-winning field goal. In overtime, this is a very, very good team, uh, the Bengals. Uh, you know, I don't want to say very, very good, but they've been, they've been really good this whole year. That this is a, I don't think enough gets talked about their defense. This is an emerging uh, team. This is an emerging defense. Joe Burrow is getting really good, really fast, proving uh, the the brown uh, the Bengals office just really making everybody who criticized. Uh, p- them picking Jamar Chase over Penny Sewell or another offensive tackle, making including me, making all those people look stupid. Has that has that you know one two combination between Burrow and uh, Jamar Chase has been absolutely fantastic this season. Um, you know, and they proved uh, themselves. The front office they proved that that was. Uh, the right move to make in pairing Burrow with his old college receiver um, as well. So this is a team, they are now f- sitting at 5-2, first place in the AFC North. Right on line with the Ravens, who of course they beat this week. So sitting first place in the AFC North, as I mentioned, at a 5-2 and two record. They will head to MetLife Stadium in New Jersey to take on uh, the New York Jets, who, as we mentioned in the segment, are without Zach Wilson. So it should be a win for Cincinnati. And it's, uh, I don't know if we expected this team to get so good so fast, but this is uh, really good um, to see a, a team in Cincinnati who has contributed nothing in terms of NFL history or whatnot. They have a really good team on their hands, and a young team um, at that. That you know could could make a run in, in this season, and you know get into the playoffs, and maybe win a game in the in the playoffs. We'll see. I mean, I, that talk is still sort of premature, but th- this is a team that I mean they check all the boxes when you're watching them. You know, even in a loss, the two losses this year, like I said, haven't been uh, by much. So, I mean that's going to be um interesting uh to watch. As I said the two losses the Packers only by the game-winning field goal um uh in overtime and then uh they lost to the uh the Bears early on in the season only by a field goal. So that's that's been it really. Um otherwise, you know, they have five wins, they've been unbeaten other than that. Um so really uh, really intriguing to see the uh, continued progression of this Bengals team. Uh, moving on, uh, talking about the um, uh, Monday Night Football, we'll talk about with the New Orleans Saints beating uh, the Seattle Seahawks 13-10 to in a horrible, totally unentertaining un- game. Um, the Seahawks with Geno Smith are absolutely horrible. If it wasn't for uh, the big DK Metcalf play, the 84-yard play. Uh, touchdown run. Um, Geno Smith would have thrown for under a hundred yards. Uh, he's terrible. Um, you know, th- it's a team that um, you know without Russell Wilson, just really, really bad right now. Um, you know, I, I don't want to say defensively it's bad. They only gave up thirteen points. Although the s- the Saints are a terrible offensive team uh, themselves. Um, Russell Wilson's future. Every time they're going to keep on losing the Seahawks. Uh, I don't care. It's because Russell Wilson has an injury or whatnot and not able to be there. Maybe they would have won uh, this week if a, if he was if he was there and not injured. But you never know. But you know, the more the Seahawks lose, they are they're You know, there's going to be questions over Russell Wilson's future. Keep in mind, the Saints were one of the four teams that. Russell Wilson's agent mentioned as places that Wilson would like would have liked to be traded to uh, last offseason so that they could come back to that discussion um in the spring in the NFL offseason once again. Um the Saints this is a team that they're bad uh, they're bad offensively. This is not the same offense that we've seen. Emmanuel Sanders is gone, Jared Cook is gone. Um, Drew Brees not being there it obviously looks a lot different but with Jameis Winston in the mold of a quarterback that he is they don't have any deep threats sure they could get a boost if Michael Thomas comes back but he's not a deep threat um, and that's sort of different to what Winston is accustomed to who is a guy who has a great arm and loves to throw the ball downfield um, you know, now he has to get more accustomed to throwing checkdowns to Alvin Kamara um, trying to find Traquan Smith, who just came off the injured list. Um, you know Marcus Callaway. That's what they're working with right now. Um, you know Alvin Kamara is the only thing really consistent and something good that you got going for the New Orleans Saints. But one last thing on the Seahawks. I mean, how mind-boggling is it that they have the same exact record as the New York Giants, just one win off of the Jets as well. That's how bad it's been going for. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, one final note on NFL Week Seven: um, the Arizona Cardinals beating the Texans, uh, the Houston Texans, thirty-one to five. Early on, there was a question about Kyler Murray being injured, winds up being uh, fine. Even though the Cardinals were down five, nothing to start. But you know, after the Murray injury, uh, Kyler Murray injury scare comes back on, and the Cardinals score thirty-one unanswered points. Uh, to continue their unbeaten uh, start to the season, um, sitting at seven and zero, they are going up against um, the the Packers tomorrow night on Thursday Night Football. As I just pull up, as the Cardinals are are seven and zero, they'll be taking on the six and one Packers tomorrow night on Thursday Night Football. As good of a matchup as you can possibly get. For Thursday night, uh, football, um, or a prime time game like that, whether it's Thursday or Monday night or sun- or Sunday night football, those prime time windows, as good of a matchup as you can get, uh, this season. Um, the problem for the Packers, uh, they got no, uh, they do do not have Devontae Adams or Allen Lazard. Devontae Adams could still make it because he is on un- uh, uh, asymptomatic, so that's to bring in a couple of COVID tests in a certain amount of time to be able to play tomorrow, but is unlikely so they are potentially without Devonte adams and alan lazard maybe you have marquez valdez scantling potentially coming off the ir um but that's still questionable so uh green bay really shorthanded um in this game contrast to arizona and Kyler murray who are just a well-oiled machine right now um you know They're winning some games that maybe last year with more of a younger team and whatnot were losing more, or would have lost maybe, but this year they have some veterans, they have A.J. Green, they have J.J. Watt and, and whatnot, um, and they're just turning out uh, those wins, those close games that maybe they lost last year, they're winning, and now they're off to a 7-0 and start, and I think they probably win uh, tomorrow night against the Packers just because of how shorthanded Aaron Rodgers and that Green Bay offense is and uh, also the Packers defense just hasn't been uh, great this year um, as well for most of the year so we will be interesting to see that matchup tomorrow night um, at 820 Eastern Time uh, Thursday Night Football, the Cardinals and the Packers will be interesting uh, to see that matchup uh, like I said tomorrow night but on that note Wrapping up another edition of the Mike Sports Roundup. This is Michael Zabel signing off on yet another edition, and we'll be back here once again next week. Have a good day, everybody.